Hi, my name's James Pikeway. I'm Paul Kelly. I'm Fessel. And this is Know Your Audience, the Micro Mini Podcast. All right. In our last podcast, we were talking about market research. We were talking about how there is a long history and tradition in market research and ultimately how some of those tools, both quantitative and qualitative, when they are used, can ultimately not necessarily deliver the insights that are truly accurate to help you make better decisions. And part of that, as both Faisal and Paul elaborated upon, was the challenges of us as rational thinkers, us as human beings. And while Paul would say we don't intentionally lie about our feelings, we do put our feelings together often, as Faisal suggested, to really uh, satisfy the people who are gathering the intelligence on us. Did, did I get that kind of close to what we were talking about, Paul? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's pretty spot on. Um, and, and of course, the next step, I guess, in, in all of this is, is the opportunities afforded by technology and just how exciting it is that certain industries have, have changed. And I think if, if we look at everything... Um, whether it's cars and, and things like EVs and, and Tesla and also, but also the integration of technology into cars. I mean, even if we don't have a um, uh, one of those kind of cars, you can just see yourself in new cars. You know, there's no CD player, there's no tape deck, there's no eight track, <laughs> right, anymore. It's just, a, it's a Bluetooth thing, right? Because it's just technology, technology has changed a lot of things in a lot of industries. And that's just, I guess, one example, but one, one industry, I guess, that's maybe a little bit lagging, as we discussed in the last episode, was market research. But what's really interesting to me and what we've made part of this series in, in terms of know your audience is, is really understanding who an audience is for whatever it is. We're, we're not just fixed on brands, but it could be also media or entertainment, whatever it is. Um, knowing who you're talking to is is the part of the challenge. And, and market research has some flaws in being able to answer that. It does, has a, a, as we discussed as well, it has a really good place in some areas, like asking people, you know, like what, what something tastes like or, or something like that. But having said all of that, technology is very exciting and, and what AI can do to understand people, how everyday people can leverage it. Um, I think that's a really exciting point as well is that, it's not just for big business. Technology democratizes a lot of things. Um, look at advertising, for example. You know, 20 years ago, or maybe more now, I don't know. <laughs> advertising your, your services would either require like a leaflet drop or um, maybe an ad in a local newspaper or something like that, but a fairly costly affair. So very small micro businesses didn't do it. And that's why there wasn't very many small micro businesses. And, and look at it now, you know, you can really set up some sort of um, e-commerce activity on using, utilizing the power of say Instagram and um, Shopify and different platforms. You can become a global shop very quickly, but you still need to know who your customer is. Um, otherwise it's just pointless. And, and that's, what's really interesting about technology is it democratizes the access to information. Um, but also for, for, various industries like market research and big brands, they, they can start to leverage big data to really understand their customers and everything like that. And I just find that really exciting movement um, in an industry that I guess may have been very skeptical about it in the in the very recent past. Um, so it'd be great to explore, I guess, in this one um, and get Faisal's thoughts on what he thinks the role technology can play in all of this and how tech and some examples maybe of how technology um, 
plays a, plays a role in market research. Well, that's exactly where we wanted to go. And Faisal introduced this in our last episode. So if you haven't heard that episode, go back and give it a listen because Faisal introduced this whole concept, this whole idea of technology playing a very positive role in this market research journey when he was talking about some of the old older and larger organizations that have been doing market research that are are fairly wed to the technology and the tools that they've been using for some time and some much smaller organizations maybe we call them more boutique boutique organizations have come into play who are starting to leverage technology much much more and this the technological changes happened so fast in the last couple of years that it really requires an organization to be nimble, but it really goes a long way using technology to help address some of the flaws that are inherent to the way we have traditionally been doing market research. That's where you left us, Faisal. Can, can you jump in and, and start talking to us about that? Yeah, sure. So technology, these times with technology, I think, is an extremely exciting times for uh, market research. Uh, when the milestones of market research will be written, I think this will surely be there. Uh, and it's finally becoming exciting because, like I said, you know, it's an industry that's taken some time to catch up, but it's there. It's there. Today, we have access uh, to a lot of big data, like Paul was just saying, uh, and through technology. So basically, this has really changed since the world has come online, and especially in a post-pandemic world where uh, the significance of the online world, the online consumers has grown multiple times. Uh, there's just so much information there. So today we live in a time where we don't necessarily need to ask people what they think or what how they feel because there are enough expressions of them at much larger scale available online. So for, I mean, real-time examples like you and I, uh, we have to order food. I'll go to a Talabat, a Zomato, check the reviews, check people what they've said about it, and then take a decision or go on some food blocking sites. I'm going on Amazon buying, I don't know, I need to take a decision on the next phone I'm going to buy, the next mobile I'm going to buy. I'm going to go online, check consumer experiences, what they're really saying about it, get firsthand. And this cuts across any decision that you're going to take, whether that's buying, staying in a hotel, ordering food, going to a restaurant, planning your next vacation, your next phone, your next pair of shoes, headphones, whatsoever. And when you and I are doing that on an everyday basis, brands can leverage that also because they just don't need to ask people now anymore, right? They can just, with the help of technology, with the help of artificial intelligence, source all this information that people are constantly talking about online, have that collected, analyzed, and interpreted using technology. We're talking about uh, millions of data points, thousands of users. So it beats the size and scale and even the timing of, let's say, traditional market research because you're getting real-time data. Market research traditionally is retrospective surveys. This is real-time data at much larger scale and size. So this this enables us to do much more significant consumer intelligence, but ultimately it creates a system where we can predict and understand what people are saying through 
what they're posting up in their socials? Is that what you're you're telling me? Yes, yes, that's correct. And I think I'll pick up the word uh, predict because prediction in today's day and age is becoming much more important to brands. It's it's the holy grail of of our brands, right? Just using technology for prediction. So of course, no no technology can claim to predict the future, but the probability of what's going to happen next increases significantly because you're you have historic data. So I know what consumers were talking about a certain topic two years back, three years back, to how that's evolved today, right? And how that's how that's changing and how that's likely to be in the future. And and also on that, I just want to interrupt there, James. I think um, sometimes we we place a lot of impact. Um, or let's say emphasis on very time sensitive points in time. So, so let's go back to 2020, the pandemic and everything like that. And the, the, the predictions around how behavior would change and all that sort of thing um, at that time, if you were at that time and didn't see beyond that time, you would probably believe some of them, right? Like, uh, like you know, just a complete societal shifts because in living memory or very few people at least in living memory had, had lived through a pandemic. However, um, when you look at a lot of data over time and, and in our last episode, we touched on the Netflix example and, and the, the most probable explanation of their decline in subscribers is the fact that people are returning to not being at home all the time or not at least not being at home for a significant proportion, you know, with, changes to, to quarantine, close contacts, all that sort of thing. People's behaviors have gone back to normal very quickly. And if you travel to between countries, for instance, that have restrictions and countries that don't have restrictions, it's just amazing how quickly it takes somebody who's used to restrictions, like myself, to be somewhere that doesn't have them and then understand that, you know, our behavior won't take very long to come come back. Yeah, some things have changed and changed for the better. If we if we talk about work and work from home and people like more trusting on that, but people have been doing that too for 20 or 30 years. It's why the cloud was invented. It was the portability of software um, is, is, is that future, the telecommuting, as it was called um, only 20 years ago. It's not, it wasn't work from home then. It was the, the, the whole idea of telecommuting. It's not new. But this it was an ex, this was an accelerant. But if you look at trended data over time, there are certainly behaviours that changed. I'm not saying nothing changed. I'm just saying that when you have the beauty of time based behaviour over a long period of time, and you're not just stuck in one period, or, or, or asking somebody a question when they're in the middle of a like, say, if you had a talk to say a working parents in in say let's say late May of 2020, they would have had a very different outlook on the world. Um, than they did six months before and probably six months after when their kids were at home. Um, they were trying to manage their work, trying to manage the kids' schooling, all that sort of thing. It put a lot of pressure on people and that changes your perspective. But then as time progresses and certain parts of normality comes back, th- those opinions would change again, right? So if you have a long-trended piece of history over time you can see how behavior you can sort of say okay was it you know after the fact is this something that we can expect or, or will certain behaviors change and it really helps with scenario planning when you have a significant amount of historical data about behavior about personality um the whole theory that people's personalities never change uh, which was very early psychological thinking has been blown out of the water now for about 30 years as we age as our life circumstance change our personalities change um all that kind of stuff can't be factored if I'm asking you today, James, or you today, Faisal, like, you know, how do you feel about something? Because it's what you're feeling right now, 
not necessarily your life, full life experience and how things have changed over time. And that's the power of this stuff, I think, is that you just get this kind of information and then AI enables the mass organization. Like, there's no way someone could sit through there and look through, say, 2.8 million um, posts or pieces of information or, or run a query on Excel even. You, can, you can't do it. Um, AI enables us to do and understand data at such a massive scale that leveraging it is almost um, a no-brainer. So I'm going to, I'm firing this to Faisal and to you, Paul. We've got three, three things, really. We've got our historical data that is going back, you know, many, many years, let's say 40 years. Let's just pick up 40 years as a random number. We've got our new AI generated data that is actually rather new. We've got the old data. Can the two be brought together? Because in my mind, and Faisal, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. In my mind, Based on the discussions we've been having throughout this podcast, season one and season two, the AI data is based a lot a lot more on real time. It's happening and it isn't collecting that those insights from materials where people might be expressing them in a way to satisfy someone who they're talking to or is interacting with them. They're just getting their thoughts out there. That's that's the 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 online stuff that our AI tools are helping us to organize, versus the more traditional quantitative and qualitative data that's collected through surveys or interviews or, or et cetera, et cetera. Can the two be put together? They can surely coexist. Uh, but having said that, I think they have their own roles to play. Uh, if I want any kind of, if there's need is to understand any behavioral data or any consumer understanding or any exploratory understanding, there is enough and more available online sources throughout. I mean, even uh, forget about people typing and sharing their experiences. Even let's say Google searches, right? If you just trend, what are people uh, searching? That can give you a lot of trends and uh, explanations, a lot of behaviors. So for any behavioral data, I think there is enough and more available online, whether that's Google searches or people sharing their experiences or talking about uh, whatever their, their feelings and emotions. Uh, and that's historically available to us. Uh, the role of traditional research is best in today's age and time is not for these studies, but for anywhere where I need a response to a stimulus, where I need, where I've developed a communication and I'm going to take it to them. And when I need to show them something that can you see this communication and tell me what you think about it? Uh, because in this in this case, you have to ask people uh, or you're, you're, you've developed, let's say, a, a cheese recipe and there are three of them and one needs to be launched in the market. You're going to get literally what they call as a central location, get 100 people, get them to taste it, tell them what they feel about it, which one kind of wins. So wherever there's a reaction to a stimulus, I think traditional market research is the best. Uh, and uh, wherever there is a behavioral understanding, I think there's enough and more in online. And this is more true in this region. It may not necessarily be true everywhere, but in this region, the internet penetration, social media penetration uh, is almost for all practical purposes 100%. So there is no distinction you can make between an offline consumer. So they were, if you asked me 20 years back that should I do an online study, should I use uh, data from social, I may say no because that's a niche profile of people that's there. Today it's 100% overlap. There's no distinction. Maybe in some of the lesser evolved markets, 
I would still say that, you know, you need to rely on traditional market research much more because you're still getting a slightly niche profile online, right? Uh, but for this region, and I say this region, I'm talking about GCC and larger parts of Middle East, uh, most of the Arabic-speaking nations where the internet penetration is almost 100% social media, and they're one of the most engaged audiences. So for these, there's, there's always... There were topics which I never thought will be available online, you know, but you'll just be surprised. Yeah, we were, do, we were doing some study on the, the personal beauty, right? And uh, there is just, I, I, I wasn't sure how much people will talk about, I don't know, skin types, what products should suit for the skin, uh, or for that matter, oral care, what toothbrush, fresh breath. Is it something I'm going to go and talk about? Uh, not necessarily. So these are topics I was not sure whether I'm going to find online. But what's interesting that if you don't find them as content that people are creating, you will for sure find enough content how people are reacting to content creators. So there could be a post on uh, on oral health, let's say, and uh, it's not a topic you'd go and talk about. Or the water I drink, for instance, the water I drink, I, it's not something I'm going to go talk about that, hey, this is alkaline water and I like alkaline water. Uh, but there will be enough comments and people reacting to people sharing their experiences and that forms collectively huge set of data data points that's there so when we when we think about that way of using and collecting sentiment this is this is opening up in a sense a new door because you're looking almost at you're looking at reactions to other other posts that as we've talked about in the past would take hundreds if not thousands of person hours for someone to go through all of these posts and all of the comments on the posts to collect that insight yeah and i think on that um one of the one of the biggest uh, benefits of ai as we've discussed and it doesn't matter what the data is i mean this could be first party stuff as well it doesn't matter what it enables is the, an analysis of a far greater scale than anything that would have been possible before so a market research survey or something might have been limited. Like a, a political polling, for example, is a good example. You know, that, that might be limited to, what, six, 600 to 1,000 respondents um, with a fairly high margin of error in built into that. Uh, it, it, there's a limitation to asking the questions, to analysing the data, all that sort of stuff, especially in the days when it was hand-coded. But now we have at our disposal tools that can understand political sentiment they're not perhaps asking specific questions like in markets where there is for instance political parties and voting and things they're not asking you know who you're going to vote for but what you can do is look at people with different political tendencies or, or what what issues matter most to people at a huge scale you know you're talking about tens of millions of points of information on, on in any one month um, to understand what really matters to people and then to understand what matters to people within a specific spectrum. So that's when you start segmentation and you start to realise, okay, these people with this sort of belief set believe strongly in, you know, I don't know, something like universal healthcare where these people with this belief system don't. And so what I want to know is those people in the middle, what they are interested in and what's important to them and and then expanding those audiences and things like all of that sort of stuff would not have been is not possible without artificial intelligence being able to analyze report um, and, and and organize information. But but info like we've said, data data is information. What you do with that information is critical, and that's something that humans still need to do. But 
our ability to interpret that information is 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 made so much easier by the fact that we have a machine that can really develop and understand uh, sorry a process not understand process information at a, at a, just an unimaginable scale in a, such a short time frame you know it's, it's something that might take a AI four five six hours to analyze ten million bits of information you know that's just not possible if it was somebody sitting there with a <laughs> with an excel sheet so yeah that that's that's just something that's worth i think really reflecting on and how artificial intelligence makes our life a lot easier and in the context of market research what it enables us to do is open up a whole new world of insight that potentially was just unavailable to everybody what what excites me when I when I've listened to this entire conversation about market research and the bringing of AI into the tool chest, is we've still got our traditional tools that we need, and there are times when we need them. But what AI is enabling suddenly is I've got now a much larger time span that I can I can do my research on. As in the time span doesn't have to stop. Whereas if I'm doing traditional research, I've got a survey, I'm sending it out, and it's that very particular time. Or if I'm doing interviews, it's a very particular time. AI is expanding the time and the time can keep going. And as you said, scale. I've got scale of data that I can collect for insight. So time and scale become very nice pieces to add on to what I'm doing in a very closed time and closed space situation. Faisal, you want to jump in? Yeah. There's one thing I'd like to add, which we often uh, don't say enough about, but uh, when you're talking about uh, AI or uh, traditional research, in traditional research, I sit with a team. I will think of 10 questions or 15 questions or 30 questions to ask the consumer, right? These questions are things I know I need answers for, and that's why I'm taking them. But there could be questions which I haven't thought about, right? And because these are they're not known to me. Now, what happens in an AI world when it's naturally capturing and collecting organic conversations that are happening, there are th- it removes the human bias element completely because there's no questions asked, right? There could be things which I haven't ever thought of asking and because they didn't strike me, right? Because it's, it's our human mind, it's limited. And that kind of opens up multiple more insights that we didn't, in, in a direction which we haven't thought about. And that really helps you building trends and understanding better quality, accurate, and much more better quality of insights because these are just things that otherwise what happens you keep repeating the same insights it's the same people putting their brain together and just keeps repeating what about the things we haven't thought about that's only possible when you're capturing uh organic conversations faisal you're 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 in this field what is preventing folks who are engaged in traditional market research from adopting the tools that we're talking about is there anything preventing them from doing that uh, not really. So the market's really opened up. Uh, the 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 users of research have uh, now believe in the data that's coming in, and uh, there are no strong barriers at this. Point. They're getting data real time. Uh, they're getting data at much larger scale. They're getting data uh, that is much more uh, informative, much more accurate, uh, much more real time. So there are no strong barriers. But uh, having said that. It takes time because, like I said, market research dates back to 100 years. There are certain things we've been doing uh, all our lives in a certain way. So for any change, there's always going to be change resistance. There's always resistance to change, right? 
So it's a slow and steady process. But I think there is there are no strong barriers, and that's great news. Everyone sees the benefits of it. It is just about the time, the natural time it takes for a transition to happen. That's that's pretty much it. I think there's great opportunity. All all I keep hearing is opportunity. This is an opportunity moment and an opportunity time that is here, and all we have to do is is engage with it, and we we can get far superior insight to whatever we're we're working forward to. Wonderful. Faisal, thank you very much. This has been a, an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to us picking up this conversation again in the future. I'm James Pikeaway. Poe Kelly. Vessel. And this is the Know Your Audience Micro Mini Podcast. <laughs>